I remember it vividly, although it was just shy of four decades ago. It had been a day of bad choices in young Toby's life. Uh, Little Toby had made some bad choices at home and at school, and one bad choice led to another bad choice. And it ended that day with me uh, in my bed, tear-stained face, having just suffered uh, a punishment and having lost many privileges for the days to come, in walked my dad. Now, dad and I had already had a come-to-Jesus meeting once that day, so I didn't know what worse could possibly happen. But instead of punishing me, he sat on the side of my bed and gave me instructions that I can remember as vividly as if they were spoken to me yesterday. They were not lengthy. They were not profound. They were very simple to understand. He said, Toby, there are two ways to do things in life, an easy way and a hard way, a right way and a wrong way. And your mother and I can try to encourage you to do the right thing. We can try to lead you by punishment or by privilege, but it's up to you to choose. With his tender compassion, he said, I know today has been a rough day. He said, the good news is this day is coming to an end. The better news is that a new day begins tomorrow. And the same choice is yours to choose the easy way or to choose the hard way, to choose what is right or to choose what is wrong. That moment burned indelibly into my brain, stayed with me throughout life. And in many ways, I think, has helped form who I am and how I live. This morning, we are going to look at a scripture, not in where your father comes to talk to you, but in which the father comes to speak to his people. Now, well, they were a different set of people. Uh, they were called the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob. Uh, the descendants who, the Israel, term Israel means they who struggle with God. If you have ever been a person who struggled with God, or maybe you were in my position where you've suffered the consequences of some poor decisions and some poor decisions, and you wonder if you can ever make it through, this morning's message is for you. I hope you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This one, this morning, is from the heart. There won't be anything to fill out. There won't be a nice-looking PowerPoint. There will be simply a message from your preacher, and I hope that will go to your hearts and impact you as well. Deuteronomy chapter 6, as Craig said, Deuteronomy is a retelling of where God's people have been, what got them to where they were, and it is God's using Moses to... Tell them a better way than they have chosen previously. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting verses 1 through 3. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. The first thing we note in this passage is the commandment to listen. Now, I, I don't mean to listen in the way that you are listening now. The, the, the original word here is, conveys something deeper than that. Uh, you know, as parents, maybe as grandparents, that there are times when you speak and it is heard but not listened to. You understand there are times when you, they, they technically heard the vibrations from your vocal cords go through the air, vibrate their eardrums, shake the auditory nerve, stimulate the brain to produce a thought of what they heard, and then nothing happened. God is not telling them to hear. He's telling them to listen. I know the word says hear, but it means pay attention to what I'm telling you. Be careful to obey it. See, that's the key. When we listen to God, uh, most of the things that you hear taught Sunday morning in a Bible class or that you hear taught from the pulpit, my guess is for most people will not be a surprise. That there, there will not be something that you hear that's like, oh, wow, I never knew. That's possible. But I think most of the time we hear things that we know, but the question is not whether you hear it, but whether you'll listen to it, whether you will obey it, whether you will do what God has said to do. This, is, this has always been what the proper response should be to God's word. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a long section of Scripture about Scripture. Psalm 119, verses 89 and following. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. God's word is given to us for a reason, to protect us, to guide us, to carry it. But we have to choose whether or not to obey, to listen to God's word, and to do it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not 
on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. You see, this is why I think it's a little bit easier for children to come to faith in God. Because children have to have a level of trust. They learn that through their parents. But the older we get, the more knowledge we get, the more experience we get, the more we tend to rely on ourselves, on our own understanding, of our own way of viewing the world. I think this is the curse of partaking of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. The more knowledge we get, the more we think we know. And in truth, sometimes the more knowledge we get, the farther away we get from wisdom. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. So the first challenge of Deuteronomy 6 is to listen and obey. Continuing, read in verse 4 and following, if you care to follow along. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols On your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. The second challenge that we are given by God, that the Israelites were given, that we also should take note of, is the challenge to show and to tell the next generation. How many of you have seen the video of anyone like People under 20, teenagers, this kind of group, um, trying to use an old-fashioned rotary phone. I think I've showed that in here. And we have fun at their expense for that. But this thought occurred to me. Why is it that this generation doesn't know how to use a rotary phone? Because they're not around it. Because they haven't seen it. Because they haven't had to try to use it. Because no one's ever showed them. Now think about that for just a minute. We can take a silly thing and make a profound point. If this generation doesn't see the word and see it being opened and read and studied and lived, How will they know? This will be as antiquated as a rotary phone. We understand the importance of reaching the next generation. Now, let me go one step further. It is a good thing. Don't misunderstand this next point to bring your children to church. That's not a bad thing at all. They need to hear the Bible. They need to hear it taught by many different people. They need to to see it. They need to be heard it being preached. But listen here. Look at Deuteronomy 6 again. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Impress them on your children. Parents and grandparents and family, if you have 
children of a younger generation, they need to be impressed with God's word, not just by hearing the preacher preach it. They know the preacher is going to preach it. But what they need to see is for their parents to take it seriously, to live it, to study it, to obey by to central to 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 center all of our conversations, not about what we see on the news, not on what's popular on social media, but what the word says. I don't fault this generation for moving away from God, if indeed they are, by the way. Thank you for being here, and I hope you always remain, not necessarily here, but within the body and connected to the body. That's so important. And some of you are blessed with parents who take that initiative seriously, and you need to know, whether you understand it or not, that that is a deep, deep blessing. I hope you thank them for that. And if you're here, or you're maybe not sitting here, but you're somewhere and your parents did not do that, let me tell you as someone who comes from that, that you still have a choice. You can still return to to God. But I don't fault the next generation if they walk away. I fault the generation that raised the next generation. That's me. That's us. So we have to take that seriously, meaning we impress the words upon them, not just here for one hour a week or two hours a week. But as we walk, as we talk, as we sit down, as we rise up, as we conduct business, as we show our marriage, as we live out life at home, the words must be evident See, the words weren't just for them. They were for us as well. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Sorry. I said Deuteronomy 6, but what you should have heard me say was Psalm chapter 78. Hear, O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, of his power and the wonders he has done. Make God the centerpiece of the conversation at home. Uh, Some simple things to think about. Do your children know your faith story? Have they heard of how it was that you came to faith and belief and trust in Christ and how that made an impact on you? If not, they should hear that. And by the way, kids, if you're in here, if you're listening... You should ask them on the way home, Mom, Dad, how was it that you came to know Jesus? That's a good thing for them to know, and that's a a wonderful, important, even a commanded thing to teach. You should talk about things, ways in which you have seen God work 
in our family at Northside. People that we're praying for, people that are struggling, people that have gone through things. We should share in those things. Our children need to hear how God has worked, not just now, but in times past, because they don't know that there were times past. My son the other day used the phrase olden days, and he told me that was everything before the 1990s. So I took away his cell phone. He's using a rotary phone now. Now back to Deuteronomy 6. He tells us to listen and obey. He tells us to show and to tell. Why? Why do we do this? Verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large and flourishing cities that you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. Wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. And when then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I, I heard a phrase. I tried to figure out where it came from, multiple sources, so that means probably Abraham Lincoln said it. It goes like this. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create soft men. Soft men bring hard times. It's important that we remember to tell the next generation so that they know all of the benefits that they have are truly benefits, and that they could go the wrong way in just a generation. May we not forget to remind them who brought them where they are. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God promises, essentially, That when he brings these people into this promised land, he's fulfilling a promise that he made. And the benefits and the blessings of that will all be the result of things, not that they did, but that that someone else did. That God's going to let them enjoy the fruit of someone else's labor. The joy of someone else's sacrifice. May we then take pause... And acknowledge all our blessings and who it was that brought them and how it was they came. I think about this a lot when I think about where I stand at Northside. I stand blessed to do what I do, not because of me, but because of great men like Lewis Tandy and Bill Oakley that preached and, and did it when it was a much smaller group, much more sacrificial. I, I've seen old church archives when Lewis had a record of how many people were baptized. And not only that, had set a, a goal for the next year to follow of how many more we wanted to bring to Christ in the following year. Now that's wonderful, powerful leadership. 
And I and all of us stand on their shoulders and elders who led and who took steps of faith because of what they did. So may we not, in our situation of blessing, forget the Lord. You say, well, that's, that's a little extreme. I mean, we're, we, we, we wouldn't forget the Lord. You'd be surprised how quickly we can forget the more comfortable and the more blessed we are. So it's important, even from our position of comfort and blessing, that we not get comfortable and move away from the blesser, but that we focus again and again on who it was that brought the blessings in the first place. In 1986, when a group of Northsiders, half of a size of a Sunday snow day currently, stepped out in faith and made a sacrifice for a TV program they had no idea if it would succeed or fail. And if it was up to them, it would have failed. But it wasn't up to them. It was up to God. Now, they had to choose whether or not to step out in faith. They had to choose whether or not to trust. And now we have so many blessings, so much fruit from that tree And it's easy to get comfortable just sit by the tree and just enjoy the shade and the fruit and say, well, you know, somebody else can plant and somebody else can sign up for Bible correspondence courses and somebody else can do the grading and somebody else can answer the phones and somebody else can do that. And you just enjoy the shade and the fruit. We still have a responsibility as the north side in current to always be looking ahead Not getting comfortable where we are, but looking ahead to where God is leading us next. May we not forget the Lord. May we not get comfortable, but rather let God make us uncomfortable. In all they did, in their home life, their work life, their relationships, uh, from the food that they ate, the meals that they enjoyed, all of that was from God. And we need to remember That God is good all the time. And that includes, by the way, when your circumstances aren't good. When you're not good, God is still good. When you are having a hard time, God is still good. And may we not forget his blessings. And in doing so, we'll be blessed. Go back to verse 13. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only. Take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. And his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commandments of the Lord and the stipulations and decrees he has brought you. We stop here and think, well, that was for them. Uh, you know, I haven't driven by any Asherah poles today. I, I didn't struggle with being tempted to worship at Baal's altar. So we clearly don't have any other foreign gods or idols. Of course, we know we do. They just aren't as prevalent. They're the gods of money and greed. They're the, the gods of myself. They're the gods of my children. They're the gods of my relationship. They're the gods of my status on social media. They're, they're the, there are so many foreign gods and idols that we are tempted to worship, but we don't 
see them as temptations because there's not a, a, a statue there. There's not some, somebody calling us to make a great sacrifice. The sacrifices happen little by little. So may we not forget God and may we seek only the Lord and not follow the other gods around us. But the Lord is God and he's a jealous God and his anger burns against any time we put something in the place of God. Anytime we put something in front of the Lord. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. Jesus here speaking the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, sermon we know well and a passage we know well. But chapter 6 verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just an honest question for you. Do you seek God first in what you think about and how you talk and how you plan your day or your week? Do you really seek Him first? Do you seek His kingdom and His will above all things? It's tempting to seek ourselves first. It's tempting to seek what we want and then work God into that and ask him to bless that. But, but what Jesus says here is, but first things first. Put the right things in the right order. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he reminds God's people that that, if we'll do that, that we will continue to have a blessing. But do not test God by putting other things in the way. Finally, uh, we think about all of these things. Uh, We're charged to listen and to obey God. We're charged to show and to tell the next generation. We're charged to, to keep him first and to honor him in whatever we do. How do we do this? Well, verse 18 and following tells us. Do what is right. And good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord your promise, uh, Lord promised on oath to your forefathers, trust, uh, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. Okay, the, the first thing is this very simple part of verse 18. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. The world's changing super fast. I'm having conversations with my 14-year-old and my 8-year-old that I did not plan for another decade. And it's really sad. I think we're entering into hard times. Because we've got a, a generation that's grown soft. And as we go through those hard times, we must keep Deuteronomy 6.18 in mind. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. We live in a, a world where state after state is saying, you know, 
Abortion is health care. It's a right. And as much as I disagree with that, now we've moved it even farther, you see. We've moved now to infanticide. That a mother can give birth to a child, and the child still has no right to life. As the governor of Virginia recently said, and really paid no political consequence for, we're going to let that child be comfortable and let the mother decide whether or not to let it live. Hard times are coming. And I'm not sure that the church has within its power to stop that. The church will just ride the wave of the hard times coming. And as I tell you as a church that's going to have to ride out the hard times coming, I want to tell you this. Do what is right and what pleases the Lord. Because what is right in the sight of culture and the world and politics and social media and the opinions of human beings is going to change and change and change again and again and again. We have to have a solid moral compass that says this is right and this is wrong. And how do we know? Because of what the Lord says. Turn quickly to Genesis chapter 3, the story of the fall of mankind. Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man begins with a question. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. That, that seed of doubt was planted by a question. And, and what, I, what I want to tell you is, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, is that more than ever, we must know what God says, because what everyone else says matters very little. At the end of eternity, at the end of your life, what will matter will not be the ruling of a few in an elite political class that said it was okay. It will not be even because the majority of the American people say it's okay. It's because of what God says is right and good. Now, it's up to us whether we're going to adhere to that or not. Are we going to adhere to what is right and good? Are we going to elect people who adhere to what is right and good according to the Lord? Or are we going to elect people who adhere to what is right in the eyes of man? Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. That's what matters most. Everything else matters very little. Now verse 20. In the future... When your son asks you, what is the meaning of these stipulations, these decrees, these laws that God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord has brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out 
from there to bring us in and to give us the land promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord, see how the conversation centers back to God, commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. If we are careful to obey, if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, he has commanded us that we will be that that will be our righteousness. We have to keep him pleased is the first most important thing. And the second is that we have to repeat often the story. As we think about putting God first, we got to seek, number one, to keep him pleased. And number two, to not forget to tell the story. Verses 18, 19, and 20 are a father telling his son again and again, not about the father, not about the father's might, not about the father's ability, but about what God has done in the life of the father's people. And because he tells that story, the son will not forget. Now, we've been in Deuteronomy chapter 6 this whole sermon. I want to finish by going to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and following. The scriptures that Moses, the challenge that Moses gave the people. This day I call heaven and earth as witness against you. I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now, choose life. So that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land. He swore to give you to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You see, the choice as it was for them, so it is for us is to choose. God has put before us two ways of going, an easy way, his way, and the hard way, everyone else's, a right way, God's way, and the wrong way, which is everyone else's. And so my question before you is this, what's your choice? What are you going to choose? I don't mean just this moment. I mean in your life. As you live, as God blesses you with the breath of life every single day, how will you live? As you walk Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week, how will you walk? By what standard will you walk? The promise is, of course, that if you hear the Lord and walk according to his ways, you'll be blessed. Maybe not immediately, but in the long term, the one who is blessed is the one who knows the will of God and does the will of God. My question is, what's your choice? How are you choosing to live? How are you choosing to walk? How are you choosing to raise your family? How are you choosing to raise the next generation? It's a life-changing choice. It matters more than you know. At the end of the conversation with my dad, he told me that that day was coming to an end and there would be a new day. 
and I want to tell you the same thing this morning. This morning, if you have not been caring or being concerned or listening to God's word, I want to tell you there's a a new day coming. And if you have been living in sin and rebelling from God and turned away from God, or maybe you haven't known God, you can return to him. There can be a new day. There can be new grace. There can be new hope. Oh, on a day like today, may we not forget the words of Isaiah. That Jesus it was prophesied of Jesus himself, that though your sins be as scarlet, they may be as white as snow. Your new day can begin today, but you have to choose. And I hope this morning that you'll choose life and that you'll seek the Lord. If you need to return to him or if you haven't made the step to put on Christ and baptism and begin that journey, the choice is yours. It can be a new day. It can be a life-changing day. But the choice is in your hands. If you are ready to serve Christ, or if we can pray for you and help you, help you and encourage you in any way, please come now as together we stand and sing.